It's go time. Welcome everyone to Third Down Gamble. I'm Don Charbon, and my guest today is all the way from Birmingham, Alabama in the USA, co-host of From the 55-Yard Line podcast with Greg James, Scott Adamson. Scott, it is awesome that you're here with me today. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Don. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm really, it's always fun for me to talk to actual CFL experts. <laughs> the CFL has had a fascinating history, but if I mention the city Birmingham to anyone, and given that you're living there, it has had a very, for want of a better word, checkered history with professional sports franchises. You could call it a love-hate affair, given how many teams have been there and how many teams have left. We can even go all the way back to the Continental Football League of the 1960s, where Alabama had a team, but you're probably a better person to talk about that than I am. Yeah, there was a team in Huntsville, Alabama called the Alabama Hawks. And their last season, they, were, they weren't they were drawing well at all in Huntsville. So they decided to move their last two games to Birmingham. Well, they didn't draw well in Birmingham either. And they just, you know, they went out of business. So I guess technically you can say that Birmingham had a team in the Continental League, but it was – I believe that their base was still in Huntsville. They were just kind of exploring the op- – the, uh, option of possibly moving full-time to Birmingham had they had a franchise the next year, which of course they didn't. Um, but as far as, as Birmingham with a legitimate professional team, it would start with the World Football League in 1974 with the Birmingham Americans. And that kind of kicked everything off. We've had Upton Bell on our show. And of course he was an owner in that World Football League. And he was a fascinating guest because he basically walks the timeline of course, his father was a commissioner of the NFL. He's had a fascinating life story, but even going into the whole World Football League, uh, for a lot of people, they may not know about it, but it was an upstart league in the early 1970s that took some players from the NFL, some major players from the NFL, and tried to make a go of it. Yeah, and it was one of those things, especially me, because at the time I'm 13 years old. So you're not thinking about business aspect of it. I'm just thinking that major professional football has come to my city. As you mentioned, when they signed all the NFL players, and, and especially in 74, their first season, a lot of them, they signed the future contracts. People like Ken Stabler, the Americans uh, signed him, and I believe he was supposed to start in 76. And of course, Zonka Kick and Warfield actually did play for the Memphis franchise in, in 1975. I think the football was was pretty good. I mean, obviously it wasn't NFL level, but they did have enough good players to where it was a quality league, but good grief, it was just a disaster from the word go. They even tried to put a team in Canada called the Toronto Northmen. The federal government at that time kind of really pushed back on that. Mark Lalonde was the minister in charge. They never set foot in Toronto. The Argonauts were protected. They became the Memphis Southmen. Yeah, that was John Bassett. You know, John Bassett actually owned the Birmingham Bulls, the World Hockey Association, which is where I, I really started learning about him. But yeah, that was going to be, I, I guess, maybe the the quote unquote world element of the World Football League the first year to have a team in Canada that as exotic as the WFL ever got was putting a franchise in Honolulu. Yes, the uh, Rainbows, I believe they were called. Yes, well, that, that was the college team. The uh, 
Yeah, the name of the WFL team was actually the Hawaiians with a capital T. <laughs> yeah, teams came and went. Uh, Upton kind of gave me the story about all of that. The WFL even tried to bring in Joe Namath at one point, hoping that if nobody really was too harsh on him, that he could be a big draw. Yeah, I believe that was their big gamble. They, I know the, the Chicago Winds tried to get in, and I think they were thinking, and I believe they would have been right here. Had they signed Namath, they probably could have gotten another syndicated TV contract. The way the WFL was set up, it was still throwing good money after bad. I mean, even even with Namath, especially a hobble Namath, you know, in 1975 or whatever, it might have given him a little publicity and a little a little buzz early. But I think after the disaster of 74, you know, making it through, I guess, 12 weeks of 75 was was as good as you could expect. I mean, it was just it was just in a shambles. And what was it like for you? Because uh, obviously you had some allegiance with the Birmingham team and you're just a kid. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the Americans. Again, that was, that was my first team, the first team to come to my city. And then when that was such a disaster, you kind of grow up more quickly than, than you want to in, in learning that, okay, this actually is a business. This isn't just some football team that's coming here to play for my benefit. They actually have their own families and they need to make money and stuff. So, so when the, and actually, and this is another story entirely, but, but the first WFL actually folded and it reorganized and came back in 75 as new league incorporated doing business as the WFL. And that's why the second team in Birmingham, the Birmingham Balkans, it was an entirely different franchise. Uh, they had the same color scheme and they had a lot of the same players, but it was different ownership group and everything else. Yeah, you know, I, I was excited for them too because again, it was another team in my city, and my dad bought I think twenty five dollars worth of stock in them. So I thought, hey, I'm part owner of this team. I knew that they were already on shaky ground. So the fact that it folded, yeah, it was disappointing, but it it wasn't unexpected when it happened. I mean, you could kind of see it coming, especially since attendance had just really plummeted all across the league. The next go for Birmingham in the uh, pro football world would be the USFL. Yeah, that that was great. The the Birmingham Stallions, I think the first season they finished nine and nine, but then they were a very good playoff team for their last two years. I mean, they were, again, not NFL, but this was a team along with, say, like the Baltimore Stars, Oakland Baders. They probably were good enough to to flirt with a 500 record in the NFL. I mean, the league, that was a very good league and it's just obviously a tragic end to it, but that was the one league that when it was first formed, and again, I'm, I'm not a kid, but I'm still pretty young. I thought, man, this is a chance to work because it's playing in the spring and you got all these big money people behind it. So, you know, this has a shot, but we all know what, what happened there. The USFL as a spring league, I thought had a niche that at that time had not been explored and that it would probably stick around for a while, aside from what happened in its final days. The league managed to bring up some pretty big name or would, would become big name players. You've got Doug Flutie, Kelly, you've got Steve Young, you've Herschel Walker. It's a lot of quality talent that the USFL managed to put on the field. Oh, they really did. And, you know, just looking at the Birmingham Stallions, you had Joe, uh, Joe Cribs, uh, you know, I mean, he was, uh, there was one year, I can't remember which season where he was a holdout, but 
I mean, yeah, there was just, there was big time talent all across the league, but you know, they started out with 12 franchises in 83. They expanded to 18 and 84, which was a huge mistake. Then they pared down to 14 and 85. And then had they started their fall season in 86, they were down to eight. And I think, uh, New Jersey and Tampa would have been the only major media markets. So, you know, good grief. Uh, talk talk about a wild journey for a league just in a in a short, you know, in a three-year period. It seems to be the folly of many a startup league where they expand too fast. Yeah, I, I never understood why you wanted, I mean, you know, starting out with 12 is pretty bold anyway, but my goodness, get those 12 stable before you even think about doing anything else. But to you know, you go from 12 to 18. I mean, good grief. It, I thought at the time, I thought, oh, no, you know, this is this is going to be kind of like the North American Soccer League where they went in that huge expansion and then just completely collapsed. If you think about 12 to 18, you're cutting your, if you have a big television contract, every team now takes a third less because you've added six more teams. Really? Yeah. And, and, you know, in the situation in the USFL, there were a handful of teams that were drawing, you know, really big crowds. But then there were a whole bunch of franchises that weren't. So, you know, again, they needed to stabilize the existing franchises before they even attempted to, you know, to, to expand further. And then, of course, the move to the fall was, you know, e- even if they'd won their lawsuit against the NFL, you know, how many networks were, I mean, which network would have been jumping at covering a league that had, you know, one or two major media markets in it? I mean, it was just, it was just a folly from the word go. For that aspect of it, I guess you would have to depend on television, regional markets going to maybe even TBS or something like that, that would be more interested. But you're right, ABC, NBC, CBS, and later Fox probably weren't that interested. At the time, I mean, you think of the Birmingham Stallions, Jacksonville Bulls. Sure, from from my geography, I'm really interested in those matchups, but who's going to be interested in those matchups on the West Coast or the you know, the Northeast. I mean, it's just, it, it just never added up. Just the whole, the whole idea. Just, <laughs> as you said, I mean, the niche was in the spring. It's like it had nurtured it. You know, you like to think the best and that it could have lasted, but we'll never know, obviously. Well, a lot of that talent, once that league folded, as we know, went to the NFL, but a lot of it came north to Canada. And there were a lot of players that uh, made a name for themselves in the Canadian Football League afterward. Oh, absolutely. And uh, it, the thing is, I was still a Canadian, uh, as I you know, told you earlier, I mean, I've been a CFL fan since the 70s. So that was the only good thing for me that really came out of the demise of the, of the USFL was so many good players that did go to Canada, you know, to add another element of excitement with these really top quality athletes. The next go around as we sort of chronicle, now we get to, I guess, the Canadian Football League experiment with the uh, Birmingham. Well, before that, it was the World League of American Football. Had the Birmingham Fire for two years before the the league shut down for two years and then came back as NFL Europe. And I guess that was the, yeah, because they played in the spring as well. So that was another uh, spring endeavor. And and again, naive me, I thought, well, the NFL is behind it. So obviously this is going to last forever. And It lasted two years until they decided to go all European. 
you must have been feeling jaded at some point because now in in 95, I believe it is, you have another Birmingham team in the Barracudas with Matt Dunnigan as their quarterback. And they are in the CFL and they were actually a pretty strong team. Well, that, I mean, that actually thrilled me because again, I'm a CFL fan and now there is a CFL team in my backyard. I adopted the Hamilton Tiger Cats as my favorite team back in the 70s based on nothing other than I liked their colors and thought that was a cool nickname. But now I had a CFL team and, and the brand of football that the CFL plays is my favorite brand of football. I'm working in a newspaper at the time, so I can't get overly excited as a fan. I'm trying to be realistic, but I'm still looking at it from the standpoint of, okay, this is the CFL. This is a stable, established league. You know, I'm going to start covering the Birmingham Barracudas, and then years from now, when I retire, I'll still be watching the Birmingham Barracudas and reminiscing about all of their great exploits. And of course, we had them one year that everything fell apart. Yeah, they and a few other franchises from that uh, CFL in America in another context. You had Baltimore, uh, San Antonio, Shreveport. Well, Baltimore of them, I think, probably was the most successful because they drew the best by far. Oh, yeah. I mean, they had they had uh, a great team. They won the Great Cup. I mean, they were, they were the standard among the U.S.-based franchises. You know, I, I know with Birmingham, again, I just assumed – that since they weren't playing on Saturdays, they'd be fine in terms of attendance. You know, the first game they played, their home opener was against Hamilton. They drew almost 40,000. And I thought, yeah, this will drop a little, but they're probably going to average 25,000, 30,000 the rest of the year. But what I didn't realize at the time is, I guess I didn't think that Birmingham fans were so in love with watching the NFL on TV on Sundays, because when the Barracudas had a Sunday game, Nobody came. You know, by the end of the season, they were literally drawing two and 3,000 fans a game. I mean, it was just embarrassing. And it was because people, you know, they're not going to go on Saturday because they're watching college football, and then they're not going to go on Sunday because they're watching the NFL. And they didn't, for whatever reason, scheduling-wise, they didn't put enough Thursday games in their home schedule to, you know, to give people a reason to come out and give them the chance. I mean, that would have been the one night they weren't really competing with anything else. It's never been good for the CFL to go head-to-head against the NFL, and especially when it comes to scheduling against them. The CFL does well with its own ratings in Canada. You know, normally I'm going to choose the Canadian. I mean, if the Jets are on TV, I'll watch the Jets. If they're not on TV... And it's going against a Canadian game. I'm usually going to watch a CFL game. But, of course, now the CFL plays so few games on Sunday, it's it's really not much of an issue. I mean, it's like last season, for example, Friday nights, Saturdays. You know, I I could watch CFL football and it had no conflict whatsoever with the NFL. So how is it that you get so in well, I'll think of a better word, but in love with the CFL. Like, where where does your affinity for that league come from? I mean, you're in the deep south. Yeah, it all started, and it seems like it. I don't know if it was 1972 or 73, but I believe it was the CBS affiliate in Birmingham during the summer would show truncated CFL games. I don't even think they were live. I think they were taped or whatever, and I don't know what the TV contract was or or anything, but. My dad and I just flipped over one night. I'd never, 
I mean, maybe I heard of the CFL, but knew nothing about it. And they were giving a bit of a tutorial about the rules and stuff. And I was just fascinated by it. I mean, that because at the time, 25-yard deep end zone, 65-yard wide field, three downs to make a first down. And that was the funny thing. My, my dad liked it except for that. And we used to have friendly arguments about that. He said, ah, I really like this league except for that three-down garbage. And I go, no, see, the three downs is what makes it great because there's a sense of urgency. You know, you're not going to see them plunge into the line on first down to test the defense. Every, you know, every down matters. And for me, it was just the rules were really exotic. And most of the games that I was watching were really exciting games. And it just stuck. I just really fell in love with the league and just never fell out of love with it. Well, that's awesome. And of course, cheering for the Tiger Cats. Now you've taken a couple of lumps in the last two Grey Cups. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and that's another thing. Maybe it's because, you know, living here and not in Canada. I love the league so much. I cheer for the Tiger Cats, but I don't root against any of the other teams. I just want the league to succeed. That's like any time there's all this talk of, you know, the, the poor attendance and the financial struggles. I want that to get worked out. I mean, I want every franchise to be stable. I mean, because I love this league and this is the league that I, I want to always be able to watch every summer. I mean, I count down, you know, to, to June 9th or whenever the, the regular season opens. I mean, that's, that's a huge day for me. To me, that's the start of football season. And you consume it on ESPN? ESPN Plus, yeah, the, the, you know, the app. And, and they usually show – the only problem is I don't have a subscription to ESPN News. And so last year, I believe they showed both the semifinals on ESPN News, so I had to follow it on game track. Yeah, ESPN Plus usually shows all the other games. It's uh, once once June gets here, I'm I'm pretty well occupied on that channel. Fascinating. In that time of the year, I guess the AEC has got to be running pretty seriously if you're watching football indoors. <laughs> Absolutely, it gets brutal down here. <laughs> and what what does the CFL mean in that part of the the world that you're in? Alabama, you wouldn't think is a CFL hotbed, although a lot of Bama players wind up in the Canadian Football League. It's really not. It, and I remember in 95 when the Barracudas came to town, I'd been in the newspaper industry then, I guess, eight years. And I was the one guy really excited about the league. I mean, you had a lot of guys that had, you know, other writers that had no interest of it, some that were just unfamiliar with it and thought it was some sort of, you know, low-level minor league thing. And I did everything I could to – evangelize you know, in, in favor of the CFL, but it just, you know, so many people, it's just a habit. I mean, you had guys in Alabama, they grew up on Alabama and Auburn football, whatever, you know, NFL game they would watch on, on Sundays, and they just had no time or interest in anything else. I mean, it was just like, yeah, we don't want to watch that foreign league. And I'm thinking, man, give it a chance. Just watch a CFL game and just tell me, you know, just Watch it with an open mind, and if you still don't like it, fine, but don't just prejudge it because it's uh, – when it's played – and again, last season, and I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, the short training camps or whatever. I mean, they, there were some rather boring games, you know, some, some overly defensive games. But I know back in the day when I first started watching it, there were a lot of shootouts. And when you see that, when you see a CFL-style shootout, you know, a game that – winds up 
42 to 35. I mean, there's not much better than that for me as far as just enjoying competition in a football game. Well, even the league itself, I think, has taken note that scoring has slowly, slowly crept down per game. And I know when on this podcast, we like to once a year have a rules episode where we discuss what we want to do. And the one thing that I think that would be really good is if the CFL took a hard and fast clock like the NFL does, where you've got in the NFL 40 seconds to get the ball back into play. I'd like to see the CFL go 32 or 34. Eliminate some of those defensive substitutions. Don't give them the time to put specialists in there. No, I agree with you completely. I mean, I think that would make a huge difference because, yeah, you can watch a game now. It's like, oh, no, there's so much time. We're going to have a complete complete unit coming in now on defense or a new unit, rather. And Yeah, it just slows the pace down. And then when you do it in the old way, like, you know, the old rules package that they used to have, it just seemed like everything was so much faster and so much more wide open. Well, the 22nd clock is a bit of a misnomer because it's essentially when everybody gets on their own side of the line of scrimmage and the head official decides that everything's ready to go. Then he winds up to 20. So you could have up to 35 to 38 seconds. That's why I think a hard and fast would be much better because you eliminate that discretionary power. Not that they're abusing it, but just eliminate it anyway. And everybody knows that you've got 34 seconds to get back there, get the play called, get out. And I think that would improve pace of play. Oh, no, I would love to see that too. You know, when I guess when the season ended and there was all the talk about whatever the CFL might be considering in terms of rule changes, that would be the only one that I would really want to see. I mean, some of the more extreme things they were talking about, I, I would just hate to see it. I mean, because to me, the game is special the way it is. I mean, sure, you can tweak things here and there, but, you know, I don't want to see the Canadian League adopt NFL-style rules. I mean, you've already got the NFL. I mean, the NFL and, and, and CFL, are, I like them both, but I like them because they're different. You know, I, I don't really want to see that gap narrowed in terms of rules. Well, the interesting thing is, if you look at the last 20 years, the NFL has morphed a lot towards CFL style of play. We see a lot more passing, especially on first down. Yeah, and that was one thing that's kind of heartbreaking for me last year. I would be watching a lot of NFL games and think, you know, this is how a CFL game used to be. I mean, it, you know, for last season, just using that as an example, there were a lot more fun games in the NFL, at least the ones that I saw, than there were in the CFL. And, and I would like to see it. I don't want to see it reverse. I mean, I hope the NFL keeps playing, you know, wide open games. But I'd really like to see the CFL get back to that, too. Yeah, I think everybody wins when the game is exciting. It doesn't matter who's playing it. If it's four down and 100 yards or three downs and 110. No, I, I agree completely. Just, you know, the size of that field, though, is just so great. I mean, especially when you have like a, you know, like a long shot under the field and you think, man, there's so much room. There's, you know, so many things that can happen on this field. Now, the CFL is hedging a lot of its bets on its new relationship with Genius Sports and also gambling, something that the NFL has already parlayed with Genius Sports and gambling with DraftKings and and I'm wondering, do you think that that, A, will really help the league, and B, will it help sell the league south of the border? You know, and you're, you're talking to somebody who is completely ignorant when it comes to gambling. I have nothing against it. I just don't really do it. 
So a lot of the technical aspects of it, I don't really know anything about. But I do think because a lot of my friends do gamble and they're really excited about you know some of the the new things they can do. It certainly couldn't hurt. You know, I mean, I don't know how far the leagues are willing to take it. I don't know what the parameters are or whatever. But, you know, I think sports fans, whether they're here, Canada or wherever, if there's more things for them to bet on, they're going to get more engaged. So, I, you know, I certainly hope it helps. And, and I think, you know, it's certainly worth trying. Well, anecdotally, football is king when it comes to betting. Absolutely. So if the CFL gets a piece of that pie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, my, my friends, especially when I was in the newspaper industry, they were just stunned that I that I didn't bet on games. And I said, look, I, I have nothing against it, but I want a cake and a cakewalk in third grade. And I quit after that. I quit while I was ahead. You know, I mean, I walked off with a sponge cake. That's all I needed. <laughs> <laughs> I play a little, little bit, but not very much. I'm not the type of guy that's going to lose his shirt over anything that I do. But DraftKings, that's where I put a little bit of money in every week to see if I can get the right seven players to maybe recoup my losses. Yeah. <laughs> the CFL is has survived. It's coming up to its 109th Great Cup in my neck of the woods, Regina, Saskatchewan. The Rough Riders are hosting this year's Grey Cup. In the United States, the USFL has made a comeback. And, of course, the Stallions are one of the teams. Now, I, I see... There's going to be some reticence about this because, A, you've seen it all before. It's an interesting start because right now they're playing all their games at Legion Field, if I'm not mistaken. Well, they're, the new stadium in Birmingham is protective stadium, so they're going to play the bulk of games there. It's a 47,000-seat stadium. They are, they are going to play a few games at Legion Field. They haven't released the exact games that will be played there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hub environment, and – of course, since I, you know, I, I love writing about alternative football for my website. So it's great that not only is the league, you know, not only does it exist, but they're playing all their games in Birmingham except for the for the playoffs and championships. So, you know, from that standpoint, it's you know I'm very interested in it. You know, I'm one of those old crabby guys. I didn't like this co-opting the USFL name and the USFL team nicknames. And of course, now you got the lawsuit. I don't know what's going to happen there, but it just, you know, it just seems like, I don't know, just name it something else. Be the National Spring Football League, come up with, you know, different names. Don't try to bring something back that, that you're nothing like. I mean, the original USFL, you know, you were paying million, you know, multi-million dollar salaries. You were basically rewriting the rules in terms of how players got paid. And this is a more modest minor league pay scale. And that's nothing against the players of the league, but, but, you know, just don't try to appropriate the original USFL when you're really not going to be anything like it. That's, that's what kind of bothers me. What's the lawsuit? I don't, I don't know anything about it. Oh yeah. It's some of the old, I think it was Steve Earhart. who was, uh, he was a former official or a official back in the original USFL. They're suing the newest USFL for using the name USFL and using team nicknames like Stallions and Panthers, which frankly I thought had already been worked out. But apparently, and, and again, I know nothing about legal issues, but apparently they don't think it's been worked out. So they're, uh, I think next month they have some kind of 
coordinate. You know, they just the, the people from the old USFL are trying to get an injunction against the new USFL, so they can't use any of the names. So I'm thinking if they get that injunction, all of a sudden Fox is going to have to scramble to rebrand their league at least temporarily. And then I guess all the teams will just have to rip the stickers off their helmet, put you know black tape over their their nicknames on their jerseys. That that could be interesting if that happens. <laughs> I mean, that would be fascinating. So it all comes down to whether they get a cease and desist. And again, I you know from from the people who supposedly know about these things, and I'm not one of those people. I think they think that there's really no case there, and that everything will go forward. It's like the original USFL is great, but it's gone. So if you're going to form a new league in 2022, give it a new name. With all the games in Alabama, it's going to be tough for fans of other centers to really develop an affinity for their team. They won't be able to meet and greet. They're they're all going to be a time zone or two away in many cases. How is that going to impact? How do you how do you develop a fan base when your team never plays at home? Yeah, to me, that's what seems like a really big gamble because. For one thing, the one good thing USFL has done is tickets are $10 per day. So so the first weekend, they're going to have a triple header on Sunday. So for $10, you can get in and watch all three games. Plus, I think it's up to three kids under 15 can get in with you on that ticket. So they're doing a good job in terms of being able to, to pack the house. But you're right, they're mainly going to be packing the house with with Birmingham citizens because I can't see someone from Detroit driving down to see the Michigan Panthers when they're called the Michigan Panthers, but they don't even know if next year they'll be playing in Detroit. You know, I mean, it's just, I think what they're doing with this launch this year, other than the Birmingham Stallions, which obviously have a home, is maybe just trying to market these teams, you know, so that hopefully when the season's over, Someone in New Jersey will go, okay, yeah, we'll we'll get behind the generals and they can play at Red Bull Arena or, or whatever. I mean, I think that's what they're trying to do because obviously you, it's ridiculous to have teams named after cities if they're never going to play it in that city. So, yeah, I mean, I guess they're going to have to hope that local markets will just say, hey, you know, support the, you know, support the Tampa Bay Bandits and maybe next year they'll be playing here in Tampa Bay. Well, you hope so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, again, it's just a gamble. And, you know, maybe it'll work. I mean, everything else has been tried with spring football. So I guess, sure, why not? Of course, in 2023, the XFL is supposed to be coming back. And it was there, do you think, a move by the USFL to get in first, to be the first ones on the block so that people notice them before the XFL makes its entrance? Yeah, you know, because frankly, I mean, I knew that the XFL was coming. I mean, they'd already announced that they were, you know, set for 2023. And when the USFL came about, I was completely blindsided. I mean, I didn't even know it was in the works. I just remember seeing a Twitter feed where Doug Flutie comes on, USFL is coming back and, you know, Fox is going to televise the games. And then, you know, I started following and thought, okay, well, apparently this has been in the works for a while. But, you know, it was kind of similar to... The last iteration of the XFL, you know, the Alliance of American Football kind of beat them to the punch. But, of course, they fold after eight weeks. And the XFL had the advantage of, I guess, learning from their mistakes before they went live. Of course, the pandemic ended their season. 
it's kind of weird, you know, to think that you're going to have two. Well, if the XFL gets off the ground and if the USFL makes it through its first season, it's bizarre to think that there could be two competing spring leagues in 2023. It's going to be really interesting to see how that's going to work. I mean, that seems like a pretty small space to be able to fill and to have two different leagues trying to fill it. That could be a problem. In your mind, do you think there's enough room for both? Do you think that one will have to give way to the other? I mean, I think, and, and just in the in the best possible world, if, if they're able to sustain it, I would think there would have to be a merger. I mean, I can't see that you would have, look to the year 2026 or something, that you still have a USFL and you still have an XFL. <clears throat> because even, if, even though it's quote-unquote minor league money, you would still have a bidding war. You know, if the USFL decides they're going to pay 40000 the XFL, well, we'll pay fifty, And then the USFL, okay, we'll play 50. You know, I mean, it's just going to escalate to the point where I would think they would have to combine resources. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just a wild guess. But I think if they, boot, if they both survive for a couple of years, that would have to be the ultimate outcome that they merge. What was your sense of all of the discussions between the CFL and the XFL last year? Yeah, that was... I was really curious about that because my first thought being someone who has seen so many leagues come and go, I didn't want it to happen because I was thinking, and and maybe I was wrong to, to assume too much, but I was thinking, okay, the XFL is thinking about, you know, maybe having nine U.S. franchises and nine Canadian, you know, just a, a full and complete, not real, really merger, but maybe a takeover of the CFL. And I'm thinking, okay, in theory, 18 teams, you know, even split among the borders, that's fine. But I kept thinking, okay, if this league folds, the CFL folds with it. You know, it's not like the American experiment where the CFL brings in teams from the U.S. and then gets rid of them. I was worried that the XFL would kind of, you know, become, I guess, maybe the alpha in that relationship. And then if the XFL failed, everything would fall apart. So that was always my big big worry. I mean, I, I certainly understand, you know, any business is going to do what they can to make business better. So yeah, I mean, I knew why they were talking, but it just worried me because I'm always going to, you know, my default, whether it's the XFL, USFL, or any other FL that comes along in the spring is that they're not going to make it because until one does make it, you know, it's, it's hard not to assume the worst. Which is fair comment. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I mean, there's certainly a place for spring football. I mean, there are plenty of players, but it just comes down to, I think, the stakeholders that get involved in it. They want to turn a profit quickly, and that profit's not going to come for a long time, if ever. And so they abandon. I mean, sure, if you just want to say, kind of like what the NFL did with the World League, you know, they it bled money, and they allowed it to because they were the NFL. They had the money to spare. But even them, after a while, they said, yeah, we're losing $30 million a year. We're not going to do this. And so I just wonder whether it's Fox or whether, you know, Redbird Capital and Danny Garcia and, and Dwayne Johnson, you know, are they going to be willing to invest, to take the long view and say, okay, we're not just going to give this three years. We're going to give it eight or 10 years just, just to see. I mean, that's a long time to invest in something that might not work. But that's kind of the irony of it. That's the only way to find out if something like that will work, to invest that time to see, you know, to, to figure out what your average audience is going to be, what they like, what they don't like. And I don't really think you can do that in two or three years. 
there's almost a supposition, and I, I'm sorry if I'm really off base with this, but that when a league starts, there's almost a hope that one or two of the franchises will actually make it to the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody, I, I'm not sure that that's the case now, but I think obviously in the USFL, there were people that were just hoping, okay, if we move to the fall, no, we can't stand alone, but we can have a limited merger, you know, because the NFL just want to get us out of our hair. You know, the, the game now, I think, is not so much to merge with the NFL, but do like, you know, the XFL has a quote-unquote relationship with the NFL supposedly starting in 2023. Is that going to evolve into a farm system? I mean, I think that's probably the end game for most minor league teams, you know, now whether it's spring or whatever. They think if we can hitch our wagon to the NFL, if we can get funding from the NFL, you know, that will be our chance to survive. You know, maybe the, the NFL, unlike with the World League of American Football, could say, okay, you know, we can go with these 12 or 16 or 20 franchises in the United States. We can provide them with players. We can provide them with a little money, and this will help us. You know, this will this will serve kind of what big time college football is doing for them right now. Although, you know, the difference there is you can pluck a player from a minor league team you own. If you're an NFL team, you can't really go to the University of Georgia and grab a line in the middle of the season. But the other thing, though, is that the colleges are fronting all the money to develop the player. Where if you have your own league, you have to shell out the dough. Yeah, that's kind of the that's an, I mean, you're right, because if you're looking at the elite college football programs, they are the farm system. And, and they're, you know, especially now, you know, you have guys coming out early and guys who are making an impact early. You know, really, it just goes back to any league like this, any spring football league that comes up or any alternative football league outside of I'm in, in the CFL, not an alternative league. I don't mean that, but any new league that popped up. You just wonder what's the end game, what's the plan, and how can it work? Again, I would love to see it work, but since I <laughs> since I haven't seen it work, I'm, I'm just wondering how's it going to happen. I, you know, I hope it does. I mean, I, I was telling somebody else to me, I kind of look at it like the NCAA basketball tournament. You wondered if a 16 seed was ever going to beat a one. Well, it finally happened, so you know it's possible. So certainly, it's possible. For spring football to succeed, but will it? You know, that I don't know. Well, and this business of being a farm or a feeder system to the NFL, I, I have trouble with because how is it that you can, it's not like the NBA and the D League where you can send players up and down, backwards and forwards. It's no big deal. You can't do that with football. Their seasons are going to be over. The USFL, XFL, they're going to be done. And then the NFL starts training camp well after. Well, how does that work to be a farm system? You can't play 20 games or 25 games in a season. No, that's why, and, and this is, I guess, you know, people wouldn't want to do this because it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't fill that void in the spring. But to me, the only way a farm system could work is for exactly the reason you said, you know, you've got 32 NFL franchises. Say you have 32 minor league franchises, but they play the same time of year, say they play on Wednesday night, you know, then you can have a scout team quarterback play for the farm club, or if you need to pull a lineman, you can do that. But you're exactly right. You can't expect an athlete to play 10, 12, however many games in the spring, and then turn around immediately, go to training camp, the NFL, and then play a 17 game regular season. I mean, that's just, yeah, you're right. 
I've argued that if you're going to do that, you may as well come to the CFL. Even You are playing head-to-head with the NFL in that context, but you're not going to be playing in the NFL that season anyway. You may as well come where the competition's better. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's you know, that's the thing. I mean, with this spring league going on, they would, I think the XFL plans to start a little earlier. They're going to start like in February or whatever. You know, if they finish before the CFL season starts, I'll probably pay a lot more attention than I would otherwise. Because once the CFL season starts, if the CFL is going head to head with the USFL or the XFL, the CFL is going to win. I mean, that's just that's just me because I prefer the CFL. 2022 season's not that far away. Winnipeg has won two straight Grey Cups. Do they do it a third time, or does Hamilton find a way, or does somebody else step up? What do you think? I don't know. I mean, your guys, you know, I mean, you, you got a good quarterback, but you got a good linebacking crew this year. Um, that's the great thing about, I mean, a lot of people complain about like all the free agency and stuff in the CFL because you go like two years down the road and teams are completely different. And I can appreciate that, but Another thing I really like about this league is it can be so wide open. I mean, my goodness, you know, a team that's at the bottom one year, three years later, can be playing in the great cup. Yeah, I mean, the way Winnipeg's dying, I mean, until they get dethroned, they would probably be the team that I would pick. But, you know, Hamilton, they're going to have a good defense. If, if, you know, Dane Evans can get some protection, I would like their chances to get back there. So I'm just I just wanted to start. You know, I just I just can't wait <laughs> wait for it to get here. And it's like you said, it's not that far off. I would love to see the CFL start even earlier, like maybe mid May, and finish the first week of November. Get away from the NFL as much as possible, but also get away from minus twenty five, which is what it is here today where I am. Oh man, it's not a lot of fun sitting outside in this type of weather. Oh, well, I was complaining because it's well, <laughs> it's a lot warmer here than it is where you are. I would hope so. (laughs) Now, you've been doing the podcast with Greg for a little while now, and you've had some amazing guests. Can you relate to any of the people that you've talked to? Uh, Well, for me, it was a thrill to talk to Matt Dunnigan, you know, just because the fact that he was a Barracuda's quarterback, and it was kind of interesting all these years later, uh, you know, hear about the exploits, you know, hear about what it was like, because, you know, when the league came in, as I told you earlier, I thought, oh, this is great. You know, the Barracudas are here forever. And then he had mentioned, I think, during the podcast that they knew during that playoff game against San Antonio that the franchise was folding. So I'm thinking, can you imagine going into – well, going into any game, but going into a playoff game and knowing this is it. You know, the miniature season ends, this franchise has gone under them. You know, what a sick feeling that has to be. You know, that was a thrill for me. And then I know you had him too, but... Um, Upton Bell? Upton, yeah. That was just great. I mean, because he is, has so much knowledge and everything that he's been through. But yeah, the whole, uh, you know, the fact that he bought the, the New York Stars, turned them into the Charlotte Hornets. I mean, that was just so much fun. And he's, he's a guy that basically you go, hey, Upton, how you doing? And then you just sit back and listen for about an hour. <laughs> He is fantastic, though. He really is. And just the things that he remembers is just, I think his book said, you know, they're, they're at, the, at the beginning or whatever. I mean, he's he's seen it all and done it all. So it's just fascinating to, to listen to him talk. A life well lived. Absolutely. What uh, articles have you been uh, producing lately? Uh, you know, I've been really heavy on the USFL because it's here. Um, I, I try to write, when I started my website, and I did this in 2017 when I retired from 
from newspaper work. I was going to basically write about just whatever I felt like writing about in sports. I wasn't going to be so you know intense on writing about football, but then I don't know for some reason just I really started getting into the history of, of leagues that have come and gone. So I started really concentrating on research aspect of it. That's really what I prefer. I like doing you know stories of old forgotten leagues and, and not just football. You know, baseball. I've got one coming up here in a couple of months about the proposed World Baseball League. You know, just fun things like that. I mean, it's just a way when you work in newspapers, you're basically going to write about what's ever in your coverage area, whatever is going to sell papers. And that might not necessarily be what you're interested in. But now, since I'm making no money at it, you know, I can just write about things that that interest me and that I hope are interesting to, you know, to other people. That the only uh, you know, I did the book, which was of course about my, you know, my love or relationship with all the uh all the football teams that have come and gone in Birmingham. Now I've finished up a young adult fiction novel, which my wife is editing as we speak, and then I'm going to try to pitch it to publishers. I, I really just want to do that. That's the one thing that my entire career I wanted to do. I wanted to write fiction, just never got around to it, never had the chance. So in terms of anything long form, that's really what I'm going to try to do going forward. It won't, you know, And the short form stuff will be for my website, you know, football, baseball, basketball. And what is the website? What's the name? It's adamsonmedia.com. If you go to that, you know, I think the most recent thing I had was, you know, the USFL released their their schedule. So I write some topical stuff like when news breaks concerning that, but that's not really my main focus. As I said, I, I like sticking more to the history. Every now and then I write fun things, things that are maybe a little off kilter. Uh, it's just it's just something to do. It's writing something that I enjoyed since I was a little boy. And even though I'm, I'm retired from the newspaper business, I never wanted to stop writing. I mean, it would be, I'm one of those people that I want to be writing something every day if I can. That's awesome. Where do people find you on Twitter? You're at Adamson SL. That's my, my handle. And uh, I don't know, depending on what's going on, I can be quite active or I can just kind of start watching a movie and forget I even have a Twitter account. So it's, it's pretty hit or miss. Well, I hope the, uh, from the 55 yard line podcast, uh, has a few more episodes. I know that Greg is moving, so that's going to put a wrench in things for a while. Well, Greg's done such a great job with it. I mean, the thing is, I, I appreciate him asking me to be a part of it, but he's, he's so good by himself. You know, I mean, it's just, he, he loves the CFL too. I mean, my goodness, we can, when we're offline just talking before a show, it's it's really fun to be able to to talk to a fellow American who has such a you know such a love for the sport, and and we're envious of you guys. You know, you grew up with it, so we're we're kind of jealous of that. The thing that I like about your show is that you have so much historical knowledge that when a guest comes on, you make them feel so at home because you know the story. Well, that's, you know, that's another thing that Greg and I have in common. We're big readers. It's always fun when we have someone on who is promoting a book because the chances are that we have both read that book. I love sports journalism anyway. You know, somebody like Jeff Perlman, where he had the book on the USFL. And of course, you know, Matt Dunnigan had the book about his CFL days. That's just fun to me, you know, because there's so many things, you know, Paul Woods, You're the Rocket. I mean, that's a really great, great read. There's so many guys out there who you know, been in the trenches. They they actually know the league. To read about it is just so much fun for, for both of us. 
And of course, that podcast name is From the 55-Yard Line, and that's with Greg uh, James and, of course, Scott Adams. And Scott, thank you so much for being on our show. I really was looking forward to finally catching up to you. What an amazing collection of uniforms you have there. Yeah, I'm a bit of a nerd. This is my fan cave here. So this, this is my happy place, even though a, a friend came in and said, all these teams are dead. How can this be your happy place? You got a point there. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, enjoy it while you got it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tom. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio worth watching.